Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle and enhancing emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play Stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to share your precious moments with us, and we really, really appreciate that. So today, we have a lovely, lovely guest, a guest and colleague and friend. Her name is Dr. Amy Commander. And she specializes in the care of women with breast cancer. Uh, She's a medical director of the Mass General Cancer Center in uh, Wanham, and where she also serves as director of breast oncology and cancer survivorship at the Mass General Cancer Center. And as she's also the director of lifestyle medicine um, at the Mass General Cancer Center. So she wears so, so many hats. Uh, I love it. And she has a strong interest in improving the quality of life and outcome of cancer cancer survivors through um, important, essentially uh, uh, implementing important lifestyle interventions, including physical activity, diet, and mind-body interventions. And uh, this is her passion. She loves promoting it. And her latest venture is that she just launched the Paving the Path to Wellness, which is a 12-week lifestyle medicine-based survivorship program for women with breast cancer. So, Without further ado, please welcome Dr. Amy. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for that great introduction. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, can you tell the audience where you're calling from? Hi. I am calling from, I'm in Newton, Massachusetts, which is right outside Boston. Awesome. Awesome. And how's, uh, how's Massachusetts now these days? <laughs> Surviving well, climate have- change? Well, three and a half weeks, it'll be a very important day, namely Marathon Monday here in Boston. So it's really nice that it's starting to feel like spring and that kind of excitement is in the air. So it's a good time right now to be in Massachusetts. Awesome. Awesome. And we definitely, you know, definitely want to get, you know, more into that because um, I know that you're a big runner. So am I and super, super exciting, especially, you know, what you're alluding to is like very, very world class. So, okay. So we're going to go straight into, you know, your origin story. I think that every superhero, super heroine, you know, is nothing without their origin story. So um, how did you come to find yourself on the path of oncology, let alone breast oncology? Such a great question. And it's really interesting to contemplate the answer. If you asked me back in college, or even when I started med school, I would have told you I'm going to be a neuroscientist in college. That was my passion. And I was part of this initiative called the Mind, Brain and Behavior Initiative. I took every neuroscience and psychology class I could find and thought I'd end up 
as a psychiatrist, neurologist, somehow in that field. And you know how our plans change, obviously, once we actually enter medical school and get exposed to so many different specialties. And along the way, I realized I had a passion for internal medicine. And then on an oncology elective, realized, wow, it is so um, profound to care for individuals facing a diagnosis of cancer. I really bonded tremendously with so many of my patients. And at the same time, the science in oncology, I mean, continues to really take off. But when I was in medical school, it was a really exciting time. And that's when I realized that I really wanted to shift my focus more to internal medicine and later oncology. So it, it was definitely not a straight path. As we know, our, our, we change our minds along the way so many different times. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of, you know, you think that going through college, you change your majors a bajillion times, you know, in medicine, um, that can that can happen, you know, as well, because you have so many, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, uh, medicine or surgery, right? And then from medicine, it's like, you know, do I want to do primary care or, or do I want to be a specialist? And then from specialty, you get super specialists, you know, super subspecialties. And um, the list uh, keeps growing because unfortunately, our chronic disease burden um, becomes more and more complex and convoluted. So hence, you know, why, you know, we need, uh, you know, earnest time and resource and the dedication to be able to serve our patient population. So definitely good on you, you know, for choosing um, this path. So just to kind of bring us up to speed, I know your focus is on um, breast oncology, but, you know, cancer is our number two uh, top, you know, causes of death in our, in, in our country and the United States of America. And, you know, can you give us some stats in terms of where we're at with things? And because, you know, you also have this passion with lifestyle medicine, how does that play a role, um, you know, with cancer? Such great question. So you're absolutely right. Cancer is unfortunately the second leading cause of death in the United States. And of course, a leading cause of death worldwide. I think some statistics from just 2020 showed that worldwide, one in six deaths in the world were due to cancer. So, um, so this is obviously such a huge problem that we're all trying to tackle in so many different ways. And, you know, you and I are both very interested in the important role of lifestyle factors and certainly preventing chronic diseases, including the development of cancer. And research does suggest that one third of cancers in the world may be due to lifestyle factors. And that's numerous factors, of course, that we're studying. But, you know, the first one that comes to mind, which is probably the leading lifestyle factor is tobacco use. That really accounts for about two thirds of lung cancers worldwide. And so that's obviously a very important one to tackle. Other important lifestyle factors that contribute to increased risk of cancer include increased body mass index, excessive alcohol use, lack of physical activity, and of course, um, decreased intake of fruits and vegetables and sort of an increased intake of processed and ultra processed foods. So these are all areas that we, as you know, Colin, we both want to combat these and see if we can, you know, help individuals live healthier lives and therefore ultimately reduce the risk of cancer and other chronic diseases. I will tell you, though, in my medical school training and in my internal medicine residency and oncology fellowship, I didn't have, certainly we learn about risk factors for cancer. I don't mean to imply that. But in terms of specifically diving deep into this literature about these lifestyle factors and risk, I really 
say I got into that more after I got into the field of life, <laughs> which was when I was an oncology attending, not during my training. So, um, and so I think wow. that's something that's important to note as well. And certainly something that I'm really passionate about now in terms of providing education. I'm so glad to speak to you about this today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, better late than never, right? So, and, you know, we talk a lot about this, you know, on the show, but, you know, which we're making a pointed change, but, you know, a lot of our colleagues at school training, even fellowship, you know, we didn't get this, you know, and we are making it uh, a point to kind of turn that around. Do you, um, or do, you know, do you have any family members, you know, that has, has battled, you know, through cancer, um, uh, anything that, anything personal from there? Yeah. Um, thank you for asking that. You know, the reason I chose to go into oncology was really not because of, you know, some people choose this field because they unfortunately saw a loved one go through cancer treatment and really wanted to, you know, give back, dive into the research. And that was their inspiration to choosing this field. I will say it was actually during my first year as an oncology attending, unfortunately, my mother was diagnosed with a cancer of unknown primary. And sometimes those are very frustrating diagnosis. Unknown mm. primary means we don't really know where it started. You know, did it start, you know, she had liver metastases and they weren't really clear where they came from. So certainly that was very difficult for her. And, you know, it's a challenging diagnosis to treat, but certainly seeing what she went through and supporting her as well as I could from being far away, unfortunately, taught me a lot. And certainly I think about her all the time as I seek to provide the best care to my own patients who are facing a diagnosis of advanced cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Is she still living? Um, unfortunately, no, it was, mm. it was a pretty aggressive cancer. And so we don't really know where it started um, or we think it was likely a gastrointestinal primary based on the pathologic features. And so, you know, those are very challenging to treat. And yeah. I will say just looking back on, um, you know, it was actually 2011 when she passed away, you know, since that time, you know, it's been 12 years, there have been major advances in terms of how we treat, you know, GI malignancies, including colorectal cancer and other and unknown primaries. And so I'd like to think if she were, had been diagnosed now, we would have had more things to offer her. So that is something that's very exciting and hopeful about my field. Mm. We have so many new advances, further research that is really guiding the path to best how we can treat these patients. Well, thank you so much for sharing. We appreciate that. And I would like to think that, you know, she kind of added, you know, a little bit more fuel to the fire in terms of her daughter, you know, uh, getting, getting more and helping to, you know, at least, you know, treat and educate, you know, further, you know, Absolutely. Um, you know the masses she, for breast cancer. taught me so much and um, certainly before that, but on um, her illness, I learned so much along the way too. And I think of her all the time. So, but my mom was one who was, by the way, very instilled in me the importance of taking good care of yourself. She, I look back, I remember she had some personal trainer come to the house at like 7 a.m. a few days a what? week. Maybe it was even 6 a.m. And I was like a teenager. I was like, who does that? Of course, no, a I do not. personal like, trainer? Yeah, like some guy came to the house to help motivate her to lift weights. And it might have been 6 a.m. I think 6 a.m. is when I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. now I fully embrace that. But she obviously learning how to lift weights was important to her. And she was certainly I'm sure she instilled that in me as well. So awesome. Awesome. So let's, you know, kind of segue to more of your expertise. So tell us some um, tell us about breast cancer, where it's at right now. And 
you know, in terms of the role with lifestyle medicine and how that plays, you know, um, into it and, you know, any current, you know, literature, anything that, you know, that you can update, you know, us uh, uh, through that. Sure. So I should note that certainly in the United States, breast cancer is the leading um, cancer diagnosis in women. Um, then suggested number for 2023 is that there might be close to 290,000 women diagnosed with breast cancer and approximately 40,000 deaths this year from breast cancer. Thankfully, due to advances in early detection and treatment, mortality rates from breast cancer have declined by about 40% over the past 30 years. So that is a huge advance and development. Uh, but certainly it is a very um, difficult problem and difficult cancer to treat despite all these advances. And I should quickly tell you how I got into lifestyle medicine and breast cancer because, you know, I, I'm a breast cancer doctor at Mass General. I treat breast cancer all stages, obviously discuss all the important, you know, anti-estrogen therapies, chemotherapy, all the things that we need to do to treat and cure our breast cancer patients. Um, and then one day, this was about, I want to say in 2012, believe it or not, I saw this flyer for this lifestyle medicine conference being sponsored by Harvard Medical School. And I'm a runner like you. And, you know, there were topics like how to counsel your patients about exercise, the importance of a plant-based diet, you know, all these topics that I was really interested in personally, but really didn't know a lot about in terms of the evidence and how to counsel my own patients on these topics. So I went to that conference and of course I was inspired and, you know, we all have our origin story for lifestyle medicine. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. I need to be using these tools with my patients who in clinic are like, Dr. Commander, what type of exercise should I be doing after my diagnosis? I want to lose 15 pounds. What do I do? What kind of diet do I follow? So our patients are asking us all these questions. So I realized I really needed to equip myself with the tools to help my patients. And that conference sort of um, sparked a fire in me to get started with that. And I happened to meet an important person there, Dr. <laughs> Beth Brady's. So I met Beth and I remember we had coffee shortly after that. And I told her about my interest in starting a breast cancer survivorship program focused on lifestyle measures, which we did not have in Boston at all. And she was so excited to work with me. And that's kind of how this whole passion was ignited back in from a conference. So just putting in a plug, go to conferences. You never know what might happen. <laughs> and who you that's might awesome. be, right? Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, for those of you do not know Dr. Beth Frades is our current president. Uh, we talk a lot about the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and uh, she's our current uh, president. So, um, you know, she's such a great advocate and cheerleader, you know, all things, you know, yes. um, prevention, optimization, and lifestyle medicine, of course. So uh, we de definitely love her. Can you share with us some personal anecdotes or, you know, uh, study, you know, case studies of, you know, when you are able to uh, have lifestyle interventions, you know, what have you seen, you know, whether it's like quality of life or can you share uh, a little bit? Absolutely. So certainly in the breast cancer world, there is so much research now really focused on the importance of lifestyle interventions for individuals, you know, who are facing this diagnosis and actually really great data showing the benefits of physical activity, not only for helping our patients improve adherence to therapy and tolerate chemotherapy and decrease fatigue and improve quality of life, but also there's data to support a lower risk of recurrence and improved outcome from breast cancer. So when you explain this data to a patient, you know, she's like very motivated, like how can I get started, right? And so we have so much data, I'd say the most is in physical activity, 
Um, and certainly there is now more and more data looking at other lifestyle interventions to include the role of nutrition and stress management, et cetera. But so it's really an exciting time to be a breast oncologist with a passion for this field. And I should also note, in general, there's so much interest in the role of physical activity in cancer. There's actually an emerging field now called exercise oncology. And I have Ooh. some great call. I know we, we love that. You know, I know like, I'm an exercise oncologist. <laughs> Maybe You're like, wait, what? <laughs> but um, it's actually fascinating. Really, there's research now, you know, a lot of it starts in animal models, looking at little rats running on their little wheel, and then, you know, looking at changes in the muscle fibers and myokines and other um, proteins that are secreted that actually have anti-cancer effects, which is really interesting to help us really dive into the mechanisms of how exercise is benefiting our patients. So, so this is a really exciting area, and I really have it's been great to see some of my patients really take these recommendations and go with it and really start to implement exercise in their routine as part of treatment, which is really amazing. To me, there's nothing more satisfying when a patient is not, I don't like to use the word compliant. It just makes it sound like very like robotic type of deal. But, um, you know, to be able for a patient to be motivated, number one, and then number two, to be able to, you know, internalize your recommendation, um, your prescription per se, and then make changes and then have them, you know, just uh, shout from the rooftop. There's, to me, there's nothing more satisfying. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, welcome to the Chef Doc app. I am so, so excited for you to be here with us. This has been such a remarkable miracle is probably the best way that I can say it. The whole premise of this, you're probably wondering why I created the Chef Doc app. Um, it's a very good question. I've been enthralled with really, really impacting and inspiring as many people as I can um, to be able to thrive. I've made a lot of things and created a lot of content over the years. However, it just made a lot of sense to put it all under one roof. And so what you will find is a collection of many, many types of offerings, many different types of programs from Whole Food Plant-Based Essentials 101 to the whole Thrive Bites podcast archive, five seasons, 150 episodes, to the Thrive Formula, which is a 50 plus on-demand evergreen masterclass series, interviewing so many different types of wellness experts on learning how to thrive. And my Thrive Medicine 21 Day Challenge, plus many, many, many more coming soon. So stay tuned for that. So there are many ways to be able to access this content. One is there are free lessons for you to try out, see what we have here. We have something for everyone. We have audio content, we have video content, we have quizzes. We also have a community feature where you could also uh, talk to other uh, members of the Chef Doc app to be able to engage in discussion, share with others what it means 
on how we can continue to thrive in our own lives. And you can also upgrade whether you want to buy things one off, you can buy programs and content one off, or if you want to join us on a monthly membership subscription plan where you could have exclusive access to all of the content, plus also Q&As where I answer your burning questions on anything from plant-based lifestyle to physical activity to how do I improve my mental and emotional resilience to, you know, how do I foster better relationships and community and to just the nuances of how to use this app and what is whole food plant-based lifestyle and etc. Thank you so much for coming in and please, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to email us in the description below and I'll see you inside. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. I mean, what, what about you? I fully agree. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I mentioned that in collaboration with Dr. Frades, I started this survivorship program called Paving the Path to Wellness, which is focused, the one I do at MGH, focused on breast cancer survivors and thrivers, as they like to say. Yeah. Yes. So just to give a quick example, and this highlights the other lifestyle medicine pillar, which is so key, social connection. There were two, there were two women in my recent group, one in her forties, a mom of two kids, you know, had been a spin instructor, but kind of took a pause from exercise for a little bit, certainly as she was going through treatment, facing a lot of other stressors. Another woman in her mid seventies, who was never into exercise Somehow both of them joined a program called Live Strong at the YMCA. Live Strong is actually an exercise program offered through many YMCAs throughout the country that's free for cancer survivors, which is amazing. So these two women joined the program near, near their homes independently, met each other there and through my group. And now they are like this, okay? They text each other all the time. The program has since ended, but... They will text each other, I'm going to the gym at 9 a.m. Are you going to meet me there? Or I'm doing this spin class or this weights class. So now they're like this, this woman in her 70s who never exercised and this younger woman in her 40s who now has gotten really back into it. And it's so cool to see the power of the group inspiring them to start doing this, but also that connection. These women, you know, they never would have really been friends if they had just met in other opportunities. But unfortunately, given their shared cancer diagnosis and being in this group and forming this connection, it's just been really beautiful to witness that. That's awesome. I think, you know, more so from COVID, you know, we've witnessed the power of community. And um, it's just, I think the positives of COVID is, you know, we've never really had something you know, that connects all of us like that, you know, and having that type of reminder, you know, unfortunately, but also fortunately is great, you know, and now at least for me, you make it more of a pointed concerted effort to, you know, put yourself out there to connect, to be in, you know, uh, involve yourself in the community. You know, I, I personally go and do Latin partner dancing, you know, um, and just, you know, put yourself there. I go to an open gym and it's really about inserting yourself. And there's just so much, you know, intangible, you know, ways to receive, you know, we talked about the, those pillars and quality of relationships connectedness is super, super key. Absolutely. It's so key. And it is, as you noted, unfortunate that the pandemic really drove home that lesson for us. And I think we're now all realizing how important it is and really embracing that 
role of social connection and community. Absolutely. I like to shift towards, um, you know, your program a little bit more, but more specifically, you know, defining what is cancer survivorship? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And I often share sort of the standard National Cancer Institute definition since it is widely agreed upon. And actually, the NCI states that an individual is considered a cancer survivor from the time of diagnosis and during treatment and beyond. And the term is also supposed to incorporate certainly all of the um, issues our patients face as they go through treatment, certainly the side effects of treatment, the psychological challenges they face the financial challenges they face, but also incorporate the challenges faced by family, loved ones, caregivers, et cetera. So it is a large term. I will say that some patients do have trouble with that term. Not everyone fully embraces the term survivor. Many of my own patients like the word thriver. So I use that a lot too, cancer thriver. And I also want to point out that Again, thankfully, due to the advances we've seen in cancer treatment, many of our patients are living longer with advanced Mm -hmm. disease, and they're not sure about this term survivor either. So, you know, sometimes we say individuals living with cancer. There's also a term called metaviver that's out there. So, you know, no one agrees on what the right term is all the time, but that's the general concept. A survivor is somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer you know, going through treatment, living with cancer and beyond. You know, we don't like labels. And yeah. unfortunately, through medicine, we kind of have to rely on them, you know, to be able to uh, put things and categorize them um, and be able to help us understand and organize and process in our own minds, in our quirky minds, you know, you know what to do and when to do it, you know, things like that. So I know that some patients might feel finicky, you know, with certain uh, yeah. terms. So in terms of your 12-week program, what do you hope to achieve with it? You know, um, you said you just, you know, uh, I read in your bio, we just launched it, right? So what, you know, someone was interested in it, um, but doesn't know whether they can be a part of it or know someone that can be a part of it. You know, what are the, you know, I guess, inclusion requirements, you know, and what do you hope to, you know, achieve with it? Yeah, great question. So, um, so I realized, you know, cancer care is very complicated and there's a lot of things we do so well at my cancer center. I'm fortunate to work with the most amazing group of colleagues to care for our patients with breast cancer. But often when a lot of that intense treatment comes to an end, whether that's chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, multiple surgeries, et cetera, patients are kind of left with what next, what else can I do to optimize my health and well-being, And most importantly, improve my outcome from cancer, improve my likelihood of cure. And our patients want this information and they actually want help with how to achieve these important lifestyle changes that have been shown to be beneficial. And that's really where the inspiration to start this program came from. I realized there was really a need to provide evidence-based information in a supportive environment to a group of individuals who have gone through breast cancer treatment. Certainly this is applicable, by the way, to other types of cancer, but that's where I've started it thus far. And I will tell you, you know, in our, our most recent group just started last week. And one of my patients, actually she's not my patient, but one of the participants stated it so eloquently. She's a She has a master's degree in public health, so very knowledgeable about the research on cancer, et cetera. She's like, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I've had surgery. I've had chemotherapy. I've had radiation therapy. I think lifestyle medicine should be the fourth component of my therapy. And that is why I'm here. And I loved that. 
And I agree. And I was like, go you. And this is why I started this program. And along with, of course, wonderful colleagues, Dr. Beth Brady's inspired me, et cetera. But that's exactly why we need it because our patients want this information. They're looking for it. And you know, there is so much misinformation out there, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to cancer. So we need to provide it to them. Nice, nice. And is this implemented kind of like in a group setting or, you know, like virtual one-on-one? How's it, how's it uh, implemented? Yeah. So when I first started, I'm sorry if my bio isn't certainly fully up to date. When I first started it right before COVID, it was in person. We met in a hospital conference room around a table. There were food from the cafeteria. Yes, it was plant-based. And we all had a great time like schmoozing with each other. And of course, this is a good story, actually. So it's a 12-week program <laughs> each week. It's um, We would focus on important key pillar of lifestyle medicine with additional topics. So it's paving steps, as Dr. Frady's um, um, describes it. It's a mnemonic, physical activity, attitude, variety, stress management, sleep, you get the idea. We do all of these things in 12 weeks. So at the end in a group setting, so at the end of the program, week 12, I'm like, I did it. I launched my first group program. I'm so proud of myself. I'm proud of these patients. And I told them, congratulations, you're done. You did it. You're amazing. You learned it. It's 12 weeks. We're all done. And they all sat around the table and looked at me and they're like, Dr. Commander, we are not done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they like bonded so much during that program that they were like, um, we're continuing to meet. We want to keep meeting and going over oh. these topics. And I loved it. But I was like, um, well, it is actually, you know, we kind of joked about it. I will say those ladies, they did keep meeting on their own. They chose to do their own group. They kept meeting on their own in person. They negotiated a conference room at the hospital somehow, go go them. And then unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, they actually transitioned to virtual like the rest of us. So those ladies, they're called the originals. That's what they named themselves. The OGs. (laughs) And they are amazing. And they do meet still twice a month on Zoom. And I'm not even involved, except they occasionally send me emails and pictures. And of course, we do things now to build community. So I see them from time to time. And some of them are my patients. But That is like that social connection piece, which we talked about earlier. So key. And, you know, you know, when I started this program, I had no idea that that would be one of the greatest gifts that these women would receive from this program. So that's been really special. I think what's great about that, especially going virtual, is the fact that you just connect with people that you normally wouldn't, you know, cross paths with, you know, and, you know, now, you know, the environment has been where you don't know if, you know, you want to go out, you know, you feel more comfortable being at home and just providing that option is very, very key. Is your program only for people in the Boston Newton area or do you hope to expand it beyond that? Great question. So um, the program is currently the way I run it through the Mass General Cancer Center, and it is now virtual. So the Mass General Cancer Center, by the way, we have numerous sites really in New England. And so I do have participants from all over our various sites, you know, who join. But it is true that there is such a demand and interest in them for from individuals, certainly outside Boston, outside Massachusetts. And I do get emails all the time. I got one the other day from someone in Australia. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what the time is over there. But um, so in collaboration with Dr. Frades and Dr. Michelle Tollefson, um, who you probably know through ACLM as well, we actually have formed a nonprofit called Paving Wellness. 
And our goal is at some point to be offering these programs through this nonprofit to provide this education to, for example, you know, let's say individuals with breast cancer who are not in Massachusetts. So that would be an important goal for me, but mm. not quite there yet. But that's something that I would love to see happen in the future. You're it's going to get it's going to come a lot sooner than you think, you, you know, so because unfortunately, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, your specialty has a wide audience. So, you know, my hopes, you know, I, I'm sure your hopes are is to expand it, you know, way yeah. beyond. But uh, that's exciting. Uh, so let's shift gears a little bit and uh, let's talk about your running and how, you know, the, let the audience know you're entering into your 10th uh, Boston Marathon. Yeah. So I run for charity every year, by the way. I don't want anyone to be too impressed. I've never qualified for Boston. I don't know if I ever will. Okay. But I just love running. And I, yeah, I guess this, it's hard to believe, hard to really wrap my head around it, but this is number 10 and I'm running for a wonderful nonprofit here in Massachusetts that I'm very involved with called the Ellie Fund, which provides essential supportive care services to individuals facing a diagnosis of breast cancer. And that could mean childcare, transportation mm -hmm. to appointments, groceries. One of my own dear patients was diagnosed with breast cancer during pregnancy and the Ellie Fund mm -hmm. provided funds for a baby nurse to help care for her baby at night as she was going through chemo. So, so there's so many amazing things that this organization does. So I'm truly honored to run and fundraise for the LA Fund. So yeah, so it's three and a half weeks from now, which is insane, but it is. <laughs> Were you a, a big runner before um, participating in the Boston Marathons? So I've always been a runner, like more for just exercise and mental health and stress management. Certainly in med school, I ran so much. It's so funny when I look back at my days in medical school, I ran like all the time and I never even thought about doing races. Like I was probably doing marathon training mm. in med school just to survive med school, but I never did races. It was really when I moved to Boston, back to Boston and like kind of really got into things here that I was like, I should do. I remember telling my husband, I want to do the Boston marathon. And he was like, why don't you start with a half marathon? <laughs> and um, I did actually, but like, um, but it's funny now I'm like really into it and it's become, I've met so many incredible people. Actually, I know a friend of yours, Dr. Melissa Sunderman. I met her through the Boston marathon. I think it was been so funny in the fall of 2021, she was running and we met through a gathering of physicians who are running Boston. And that's honestly how we became friends through the Boston Marathon. So um, now, of course, we know each other through American College of Lifestyle Medicine. But just another, you meet so many incredible people. Yeah. So it's been such a fun experience for me. It's definitely, it's definitely a small world after all. How has it, uh, you know, doing, you know, doing almost 10 races, how has it, uh, you know, influenced your own um, personal health and well-being? A lot of lifestyle medicine, uh, what I love about it is really the accountability and the role modeling, right? And the fact that it just gives so much for the individual, you know, practitioner, you know, whether you're a physician, a nurse, dietitian, you know, how has it, you know, affected, you know, you, you know, just being part participating. My first marathon was the New York City Marathon. I oh. also ran for charity as well. And I also, mm -hmm. you know, know the impact, you know, I think the first day we were on the uh, Verrazano Bridge in Staten Island, that's where we started off from. And I was surrounded by like, I kid you not, maybe like 50k, 50,000 wow. participants, you know, in, wow. you know, just being on that same bridge. And I think they represented 
over a hundred countries. So, you know, give us like a little snippet because Boston is really considered like the pinnacle, you know, of a marathon. So can you share a little bit about your experience? Yeah. I mean, it is also, I don't think it's 50,000. I think we're more in like the 30 ish thousand range, but, um, and certainly when you're running for charity, you kind of start in the fourth wave, which is okay. Um, but you're right. It's such an incredibly, amazing experience. I mean, the streets are lot. Boston has, I know New York has great spectators, but Boston does too. <laughs> and, um, it's just such a incredible experience to be having people cheer for you along the way. And one of the things I particularly look forward to is seeing many of my patients along the way. Um, mm. I kind of, I, I do stress myself out about this always every year, the night before um, I kind of memorize where people tell me they're going to be standing. So I make sure I look for them because one year, one of my dear patients was outside and in a certain spot where she told me she would be. And I did not see her, even though I looked at every single person around, you know, around that Newton Hill where I thought she would be. And oh, I felt so bad about missing her. So I'm very careful about trying to memorize where people are going to be. But I don't know if that's super productive, to be honest with you. But, um, <laughs> I love seeing my patients along the way. They, they, they got to they gotta wear something. It's like finding, know, it's like finding luggage at the something. airport, right? Yeah. Like you have to stand out somehow, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, but that is a very special thing for me, but um, I just, I love it. I love the whole weekend. This whole city comes alive. It's just, you're definitely going to have to do it someday. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. So we're going to come to the end and I love asking my, you know, guests on this question is, you know, because this, this part of this uh, podcast is all about creating a thriving mindset and, you know, our very topic is, you know, creating and transforming, you know, your patients into thrivers. But for you yourself, you know, um, what can you share about your own personal routine or lifestyle or habits that you just can't live without, you know, um, that helps you to thrive personally? So give us, share with us your top three tips. Oh, I love this. Well, I will say the first one that does come to mind, which I bet you would agree with as well, is the importance of physical activity, not just to be in good shape and to have muscles and all that, but it's really for um, helping with my stress management and sort of mental health. And I found this particularly important during those very difficult, you know, the early part of 2020 when we were facing the pandemic and having so many challenges with that for so long. So physical activity is way up there, number one, two, and three. Um, I would also say way up there is, of course, thinking about nutrition um, and certainly plant-based diet and just eating healthy. I am one of those people who brings her lunch every day to work. I make sure I plan ahead because I know if I don't do that, whatever. What, what's your what's your go-to meal? I mean, it's not very exciting. <laughs> My kids see me do this. I always make like a bunch of salads on a Sunday night and it's throw them in the fridge and they're there for the whole week. It's not exciting, but at least I know I have a healthy lunch waiting for me during the middle of a crazy, busy clinic day. So, but um, in general, eating healthy is very important to me. And then I will say for the third one, obviously the importance of community, social connection, family. I think we both agree. And we talked about this earlier in the podcast, how that is such a key aspect of overall health and well-being. And so that's, that's way up there too. I love it. I love it. Well, um, you know, there's just so much to talk about and, you know, I think we've, you know, done a really, really good job. I definitely applaud you for the program. I think a lot of our listeners, you know, either battle with cancer themselves um, or know of someone, especially with breast cancer, since it's 
you know, really high up there. You shared stats, you know, before. And, you know, hopefully with a collective and collaborative movement, we can definitely push the needle and, you know, help uh, more patients out. So yeah. I definitely applaud you for what you do and all the future, you know, endeavors that are coming down the pike. And uh, yeah, please keep us updated once you start expanding, you know, besides a mass general um, audience uh, to help people with cancer uh, survivorship. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you for all the amazing things you do as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Guys, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. If you like this, please click like, subscribe, comment. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. Until then, please say goodbye to Dr. Amy. <laughs> Bye. Hey, guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes now can be seen and heard on our new The Chef Doc app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it. So, and we'll see you on the next one. 